Good morning. It's wonderful to be with you this morning. As Rod mentioned, my family and I officially moved our membership here to First Baptist back earlier in the springtime. We actually began attending here the very first Sunday in January. And of all the things that Carolyn, my wife and I, and our kids love about this congregation, the thing at the top of the list is the fact that you truly care about those outside these church walls. Your ministry to Jefferson City, to our nation and around the world, just is something that really, really is inviting to Carol and I and our family. And I know many, many other people that are kind of, honestly, disenfranchised with church. Um, Your commitment to share God's love with those who are hurting, those who are struggling, those who are outside of God's kingdom is something that I think is is, uh, very significant and important. And that's a huge part of why Carol and I are privileged to be a part of your congregation. I want to tell you just a little bit about myself, um, where I'm coming from, how I got here. Uh, I am um, a minister, if you will, a former minister. I served for 12 years as an associate minister at Memorial Baptist Church in Columbia, Missouri. Got to do a lot of things during that time to, to try to share God's love with those in our community. But about a year and a half ago... God led me to serve in a new way. And a year and a half ago, I began a job at the food bank for Central and Northeast Missouri, headquartered up in Columbia. Uh, You may know the food bank serves 32 different counties in our area, including Cole County and many other surrounding counties. Uh, In fact, this year alone, the food bank has helped distribute about 628,000 pounds of food here in Cole County, which is great But we also know that the need is much, much greater than that. So we're constantly working to try to uh, minister um, even beyond that. And it makes me think a lot of my work at the food bank of Jesus' example of meeting people's physical needs so that we would have an opportunity to address spiritual needs as well. But I could talk about the food bank for a while, but that's not why I'm here this morning, obviously. In just a minute, we're going to look at Luke chapter 10 together. And in a few minutes, we'll stand and read that together. But the very first words we're going to read are the two words after this. And so I think it's important that as we get into that, that we stop and pause and think about what has happened before Luke chapter 10. So if you have your Bible open, you may want to turn back a page or two to Luke chapter 9. And Luke chapter 9 is packed full of 62 verses of story after story and situation after situation and miracle after miracle that just exemplifies God's kingdom and what what Jesus was about. It begins in Luke chapter 9 with a story of Jesus sending out his 12 closest followers to do ministry. And that story is very, very similar to what we're going to look at in Luke chapter 10 in just a couple of minutes. But as Luke chapter 9 unfolds, there's other things that happen. There's the, the um, famous story of the feeding of the 5,000 from a boy's lunchbox. I think all of us know that story. There's different times uh, of other miracles. There's the kind of science fiction movie-like scene where Jesus' appearance is transfigured at the top of the mountain. There's the healing of a demon-possessed boy. There's two separate instances where Jesus is, um, he foretells or predicts his coming arrest and crucifixion. But as we get to the bottom of Luke chapter 9, 
Brent preached about this last Sunday. There's a very somber set of verses that talks about the cost of following Jesus. And I'm just going to read those last couple of verses in Luke chapter 9 to to get us up to speed on where Jesus is coming from as we get into Luke chapter 10. At the end of Luke chapter 9, verse 61, another person said to Jesus, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Now this person, that seems legitimate to us. It makes sense. I want to follow Jesus. Just give me a minute to go back Say some goodbyes, give some hugs, and then I'll be right with you. But Jesus responds in a very sharp, in a very black and white way in verse 62. Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. That, that's kind of hard for me to hear. But I think... As I look at this, these series of verses, I think Jesus was almost being over the top, almost exaggerating to the point, so that we would have no misunderstandings on what it means to follow him and be a part of the kingdom of God. I think in these verses that in chapter 9, Jesus is saying, to be a part of God's kingdom is an all-in proposition. It's not like you're standing at the edge of the pool and you put a toe in to kind of test it out. It's not kind of a wishy-washy thing where you're in it half-hearted. But it's all in. Jump in with both feet. It's a life-changing process being a part of God's kingdom. So with that prelude in Luke chapter 10, I invite you to stand with me. And it's my prayer this morning that we all will hear God speak to us from these words from Luke chapter 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals. And do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house... First say peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God is near you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, Go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet, we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this. The kingdom of God is near. I tell you it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And for you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. He who listens to you listens to me. He who rejects you rejects me. But he who rejects him, he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. 
May God speak to each of us through his word this morning. You may be seated. This passage is full of things that we could focus on this morning. But as I go um, into the sermon this morning, I invite you just to kind of look through these verses with me at some things that are especially significant for us today. For those of us that, that are looking to follow Jesus, that are a part of God's kingdom. And right off the bat in verse 1, one of the things that I think is very significant is this idea of, of who Jesus is sending out. We see Jesus identify 72 people. Some early manuscripts of the scriptures talk about the number 70. So it's either 72 or 70 people. I don't think the focus is on exactly how many people went out, but who they are. We don't get any description in these passages in Luke chapter 10 about were they farmers, were they fishermen. We don't know anything about them. But if we go back to Luke chapter 9 and the verse, first part of that chapter, we see that those people that were sent out at that point were Jesus' 12 closest friends. His, if you will, elite disciples. The A-team. Those folks that lived and breathed and sweated with Jesus every day. But here in chapter 10, Jesus is sending folks out. The average Jills and Joes and, and regular people just like you and me. And I think that's very significant for us today. Is, as we live in a world where more and more we rely on the ministers, the ordained folks, the, the, those who have gone to seminary, to go and do ministry because they're equipped to do it. They know what they're talking about. They have the training and the, the skills and the time and whatever it is. This is a reminder for all of us that we are all a part of God's kingdom and a part of God's ministry force to make a difference. And this jumped out at me. You've probably heard this many times before. But if you've ever felt like you weren't good enough, that you didn't know the Bible well enough, that you didn't have enough time, that you weren't smart enough, spiritual enough, religious enough, whatever, to go and make a difference for God's kingdom, this is a perfect example that that's not true. The other thing about these opening verses that, that sticks out to me is, is, did you notice how Jesus sent out the folks? He didn't say, okay, you, I want you to go over there by yourself, and I want you by yourself to go over there to that town. He sent them out in groups of two. And I think that's a very important life lesson, not just in ministry, but in life in general. The idea of being together as we serve and follow God. I, I have a kind of personality where I like to do stuff by myself too often. Um, ask my fellow employees, ask my wife, my kids. I, if there's something to do, leave me alone, let me do it. You may have that personality, or maybe just as a fact as Americans are kind of individualistic spirit, spirit, we want to accomplish things on our own. Get out of my way, let me handle it, I'll do it. And in these verses, it's, it's a reminder that we're not meant to go it alone. Whenever we try to accomplish something, especially something of God, make sure somebody's walking with you in that. Somebody that can encourage you, someone that you can bounce ideas off, somebody that will keep you accountable, someone that you can encourage and they can encourage you. Because God didn't plan for us to go into this journey of, of following Jesus um, on our own. 
I heard long ago that the phrase, never try to climb a mountain by yourself. And that kind of captures, I think, the, the importance here of remembering to rely on each other and do things together. So Jesus is lining up these groups of two to send them out, and he gives them this incredible pep talk. He says, go, I'm sending you out like little, helpless, vulnerable sheep into a bunch of wolves. Go, have at it. And as I've thought about those words, I, I just, I can't imagine but to think about what that group of 70 or 72, what their reaction was to Jesus. I could just see them start to turn into each other, kind of wide-eyed. It's like, what? Jesus is supposed to be, you know, building us up, encouraging us. And here he is saying, we are going to go out into this world, into these towns and cities, and we're going to basically almost kind of like we're walking to slaughter. We're going to be up against incredible odds. We're going to be in situations that are beyond us. And as I've thought about this, I think again, I think Jesus may be going so extreme in his words because he doesn't want us to miss the point. And there are two things from that that phrasing that I think are important to us. I was talking to a friend about this verse a couple of weeks ago, and he pointed out what comes right after that phrase. Jesus gives us specific instructions in verse 4. Don't take a purse with you, a bag, don't take sandals. If you will, don't take, call ahead and make hotel reservations. Don't make sure, or don't, you know, stick your wallet full of money. Just go. And as my friend and I talked, it kind of, the idea set in with me that what Jesus is saying is strip away everything that you've come to rely on. Strip away everything that gives you security, that gives you power, that gives you control in this life. Because when you do that, all that we can rely on is our faith in God. And there's another piece that goes along with that, I think. This, this whole idea of who we trust and how we do it. Not only are we to strip away everything that we rely on so that we're faced to put, place our trust in Jesus, but I think Jesus also may have wanting to be very clear with his followers and with you and I that as we go out into this world seeking to spread the, the kingdom with those around us, it's not easy. It's challenging. It's tough. It's just like a little defenseless lamb walking into a situation where there's wolves ready to tear it apart. There's no way around it. That is hard. That's a tough situation. I was thinking about the, the Run for God group here at First Baptist from this spring. How many of you, if you don't mind raising your hands, how many of you were in the Run for God group? Any of you this morning? few? Okay. All right. As a former runner myself, I can identify with, I think, a little bit about what you went through. Those of you that don't know, the Run for God group got together this spring, and they made a commitment to run and train and run in a 5K, a 3.1-mile race, a few weeks ago. And... I know that through that experience that there were probably many days 
got home from work or your alarm went off in the morning, it would have been much, much easier to hit snooze or to plop down in front of the TV and just, nah, I'm, I'm too tired to run today. It's not worth it. Or those training runs out on the course where you're heading up a hill and I can't do this. This is, I'm not in shape well enough. I'm not, I just can't do this. I'm, I'm going to quit. I'm going to throw in the towel. I'm going to call it quits. And that's the easy thing to do. That's the easy way out. But those of you that stuck with it and did it, you realize that when you ran that 5K and crossed that finish line, the feeling of satisfaction and fulfillment was greater than, than you could have imagined. But even more than that, the process, the journey of running up those hills and realizing, God, you've got to get me up this hill. I'm going to keep chugging along, but I'm out of power. You're going to need to help me through this. So that by the time you cross that finish line, your relationship with God had grown to the point where you see God providing for you in ways that you hadn't maybe experienced before. These words being sent out like sheep among wolves, I don't think those were just for the 72 folks way back then. I think these words are for us today. Because as we leave these church walls, as we live life, as we encounter situations trying to share God's love with those around us, Sometimes we rely so much on our own means. We, we need to strip all that away and just say, God, you've got to help me through this. Sometimes we forget that it's hard and we're ready to pitch in the towel before we should. So Jesus sent these, these groups of two out and the rest of these verses he focuses quite at length and talking about the reactions that they're going to run into. Some people are going to respond favorably to you, some people aren't. He told them, when you go and you knock on the door of a house, say peace to you. In other words, in our day and time, if you knock on the door, somebody welcomes you in, may I stay here for a while? Sure, come in, I have a bed for you right here. Somebody, some will be receptive. But some, they'll yell at us from inside the door, go away, or they may slam the door in our face. People are going to respond differently. And Jesus uses uh, an illustration that, that, we, that doesn't fit our culture at all, but for the, the Jewish folks of that day, this idea of shaking the dust off their feet. It, in Jesus' day, that was a custom that when Jewish travelers went through Gentile or pagan regions and they came back to their Jewish homeland... They literally did stop and they shook the dust, wiped the dirt off their feet as a way of making a symbol of their um, moving on from that area. Sorry. Moving on from that area to the region that they were returning to. It was a clear break, a visual indication that I'm not a part of that area. I'm, I'm... symbolizing my Jewish heritage. And when they did that, um, it was something that everyone around them could see. So for you and I, as we think about the kingdom of God, it, we, we, we know, you guys have, have lived just like I have. We know there are folks out there that are going to respond favorably, that are going to be open to our faith and what we have to say, and there's going to be folks that aren't. 
But the key for all of this, I believe, is in verses 9 and 11. Twice, Jesus repeats a phrase, and this is his, what he instructs his followers when they're out there, the words that he wants them to pass on. In verse 9, if, if you um, are welcomed into a house, make sure that you tell them the kingdom of God is near you. The kingdom of God is near you. And then in verse 11, even those that reject you, that turn you away, don't miss the opportunity to tell them the kingdom of God is near. This whole idea of of the kingdom of God is something that I've, for a long time, I, I, I think I had it kind of messed up. As a younger person growing up, I always thought about the kingdom of God being way up there. Far, distant, unreachable, untouchable. It was something that I would only experience when I died, when I went to heaven. But through verses like this and and some other things, just living life, living faith, I tend to look now more at the kingdom of God, I think, of what Jesus is getting at here. For those of us, when we invite Jesus into our lives, God's kingdom comes into us, in a sense. And everywhere we go in this world, we are carrying God's kingdom with us, in a sense. So when we have an opportunity to talk with our neighbor, talk with somebody at work, we have the opportunity to bring God's kingdom near to those folks. To drive this home just a little bit, I want to share um, a couple of stories with you. One... um, happened a, a few years ago. My wife and I, when we were living back in Columbia, we, um, we had some really good friends who um, had, had, gave birth to their second child, but he was born extremely premature. It was one of those situations where his dad could literally hold his son, his newborn son, in his hand. His dad could take his wedding ring off, and it would fit all the way up the arm of his son. You know, incredibly premature birth. Life was fragile, very hard, very challenging situation. And they lived at the hospital, basically, during that time. Carol and I, you know, we, we did what we could to support them. We prayed for them. We, we reached out to them. But I remember one night in particular, it was late for Carol and I, probably about 10 o'clock at night. And we were getting ready for bed and just kind of one of these God-prompting kind of moments. Carol and I looked at each other, and we both realized we need to go to the hospital and see our friends. Didn't know why. They didn't call us. It was just, this is what we need to do. So we walked in the hospital. As soon as we walked into the intensive care unit where, where our friends were, we were just embraced with these huge bear hugs. And it was obvious our, our, our friends wanted us, maybe even needed us there that night. In, in a very real sense, I think that God helped us to bring God's kingdom a little bit closer to our friends that night who were just needing some encouragement, needing to know that some people cared, needing to know that they weren't alone. But sometimes it's not that easy. Sometimes we aren't embraced with big hugs. Sometimes as we take the kingdom to those around us, it's a lot more challenging, a lot more awkward. I'm going to tell you about another friend. Her name's Robin. Met Robin many years ago. 
um, when I was at Memorial Baptist in Columbia and working with the Upward Basketball program up there. Robin and her family weren't uh, super religious at all, didn't attend church very much, but some friends invited her and her kids to come and for her kids to participate in Upward Basketball. So I got to know her um, over the years. Every year they came back and, and did basketball. And after a while, you know, after a few years, the kids got so old that they didn't come back anymore. Um, they, they just aged out of it. They were too old to play. And Carol and I, we kind of lost touch with Robin and her family. We moved down to Ashland, um, just, just lost touch. And then last fall, we heard about one of those um, kids that had grown up playing basketball. He was now a 19-year-old man, and he died tragically in a, in a car accident up Highway 63 here between Jefferson City and Ashland. And Carol and I had lost contact with the family. We, of course, we were saddened by the news of that, but we really didn't know what to do, didn't know how to contact Robin or anything like that. So just kind of life went on until three weeks ago. Three weeks ago, we were taking our youngest son, Titus, to a t-ball game. And as it turned out, Robin showed up at that game to watch her grandson play t-ball. And as Robin walked in and sat down to the bleachers, she, she recognized me before I recognized her. And she sat down and very friendly, and, and we made small talk. But right off the bat, I have to tell you how, how awkward I felt. I didn't know what to say. Her, her son died tragically months ago. I, I hadn't done anything to reach out to her. But after just ch- chit-chatting a few minutes, I, I just had to blurt out, Robin, I'm so sorry to hear about Tyler's death. And, and she was gracious, and we kept talking. And for about the next 45 minutes, most of our focus, most of our conversation was about my son and her grandson out here playing in front of us. And then the game ended, and, and like how this was on a hot June evening, you know, the kids got their treats at the end of the game, and then everybody scattered to their cars to get in the air conditioning, except for Robin. Carol and I wanted to, to tell her goodbye, tell her it was, it was good to see her. And the three of us stood there for I don't know how long as everybody else just kind of left the area. And, and Robin just, just kind of poured out her heart, her, her pain, her grief, her questions for God, her, her frustrations, her anger. And, and Carol and I talked about it afterwards. It was, it was hard for us because we wanted to say something that would make Robin feel better. We wanted to... to do something encouraging. And we were just there. It was, it was, it was awkward. It, it felt like being a vulnerable lamb in a situation we couldn't control. But looking back on that, I want to believe in some way, just by God's power, by Carol and I just standing there and listening, God's kingdom was brought a little bit closer to Robin that night. God's care and compassion and love. The sense that she wasn't in it alone. Now, that was three weeks ago, and the easy thing to do would just kind of be to let that go in the distance. Yeah, we will continue to pray for Robin, but man, that was, that was awkward. That was, that was tough enough. I really don't want to go back and revisit a conversation with her about that. That would be the easy thing to do, but I don't think that's the right thing to do for me. I think as... as 
I try to, to live out faith and follow Jesus. I think God wants me to do what I can to maybe look on my bookshelf and maybe I have a book or two that could provide some encouragement to Robin and get in touch with her and say, hey, Robin, I have some books that might help. Maybe for Carol and I just to simply invite her over for coffee or dessert one night and just chat and just listen some more as she processes her grief and pain. Sometimes living out the kingdom of God and bringing that kingdom to others isn't as easy as we would like it to be, of course. But the great news comes, we get a snapshot in verse 17 here. If you were here on Memorial Day weekend, Pastor Doyle preached about verse 17 and on way back then. But I want to, don't tell him I did this because this may be against the rules, but Verse 17 is something we're going to look at because this, this is the great part of the story. Verse 17 says, The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. For those of us that are a part of God's kingdom, every time we take a risk and go out as, as a vulnerable lamb among wolves, we have the opportunity to just be in a situation where we have to rely on God's faith and God's power and God's presence. And when we do that, we experience a joy in our relationship with God. We experience the power of God in a way that we can't otherwise, if we're just sitting safely on the couch, or if we take the easy way out, and, and like for me, with my relationship with Robin. If you've ever gone through a period in your life, maybe right now, where God seems distant, your faith seems stale, you're just kind of going through the motions of this whole religious Christianity thing, I challenge you, I invite you to find someone, have your eyes open to a situation, be willing to walk in to somebody's life or a situation where you have no idea what's going to happen, where you are a defenseless sheep into an uncontrollable, unknown situation. Because when we do that, when we allow ourselves to be in that situation as God leads us, we have no chance but to encounter God in a new, powerful way. As we close things down this morning, I am going to invite you to respond in one of two ways. You may be here as, as a follower of Jesus. And as we've talked and as God has spoken to us this morning, there may be a person or a situation that God has placed in your, in your mind, in your heart. A situation where God's kingdom needs to show up. Where you need to bring God's presence to that person or that situation. As we stand and sing in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to just quietly where you're at Pray about that. Ask God to give you the courage and the wisdom and the insight to act on that. Or maybe, as we talked about not doing it alone, maybe you need to turn to somebody next to you that you can trust and you just share that with them. Say, I really feel compelled to, to do this. Or you may be here this morning and God is inviting you to become a part of the kingdom, to ask Jesus into your life to be your Savior and the leader of your life. Maybe to be in a part of this church officially to move your membership here. However it is that God is speaking to you this morning, I believe that God has something for all of us to respond together to.
So I invite you to stand with me. You may come up and talk with me or talk with Brent if you'd like to. But let's all respond to God's kingdom as God leads us to this morning.